Hi there, and welcome back to the Creative Endeavor podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. It's real conversations with real artists. And in this episode, I'm talking to Maria Brophy. You've probably heard me mention Maria's name on a number of occasions. She wrote this awesome book called Art, Money, Success. And I read that a few years back. And I had to have her on the podcast. That was a couple of years ago. We talked all about the book. And this round two is long overdue. So it's such a pleasure to welcome Maria back onto the podcast. Now, I wanted to dive deeper into that book. I really am due for another read of that. But also just hear where she's at now and some of the new challenges that creative professionals are facing in 2023. Now, you know me, the last few episodes of the podcast, I just haven't been able to help myself. I've had to ask all kinds of artists, as well as a best-selling author like Maria Brophy about AI. What does this paradigm shift mean for creative professionals? It was really interesting to hear her insights on that topic in particular. Now, right now, if you haven't already done so, if you're not familiar with this book, I highly recommend you get your hands on it right now. Now, Maria didn't pay me anything to say this. We're not affiliated in any way. I just want to share with you what's worked for me. And if you listen to the audio version of the book, like I have, the, I've got the audio version, I listen to it while I'm painting, or you have the hard copy, and you apply what you've read in that book, I guarantee it's gonna make an impact. It's gonna make a difference to you in your creative journey. So check it out. I'll make sure I post a link to that book in the show notes. Now also, on a side note, there is a video version to this podcast. Right now you're listening to the audio version, but make sure you check out the video version because there's some extra visuals there. You can see both of us in our spaces if that's your thing. So you can always find that on my YouTube channel. That's where I make the video version free for everybody. This was so much fun. It was so wonderful to catch up with Maria once again. I really hope you enjoy this conversation and you get something out of it. That's why I bring this podcast to you. I really hope this makes an impact on you and your creative journey. So without further ado, here she is, Maria Brophy and the Creative Endeavor. Maria Brophy, welcome back to the podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. Well, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. I want to get into the book, Art, Money, Success. I want to talk all about that. We talked about that in our, our first conversation together. I th Gosh, I think it was maybe a couple of years ago now. Time has 2020, really... right before all the hit the all, fan <laughs> all that stuff yeah my goodness and so so we want to get into the book and i've got plenty of questions to ask you and and hasn't the world changed and the landscape changed in the meantime it's just been an incredible one paradigm shift after another and and a lot of changes that are going to be facing us artists moving forward but before we get into all of that i have to ask if you don't mind i want to check in and see how drew is doing because i understand you know you guys had some challenges over the last couple
couple of years, but I've been following his progress on Instagram and, and from what you've been posting, what he's been posting, really inspired to see that he's doing better. Could you give us kind of the rundown of where he is at the moment and, and a little bit of what happened there, whatever you feel comfortable sharing? My life is an open book, so I will tell you anything you want to know. But in a nutshell, in 2021, my beloved husband, Drew, who is an artist and I'm his agent, for those of you who, who don't know, came down with COVID and we both did, but he got sicker. And prior to that, he was and is, again, a high level athlete, surfer, big wave surfer. Yeah. And he never gets sick. He hadn't been sick in 20 years. So we made this horrible mistake where we didn't get in medical care in time. Long story short, he ended up on a ventilator. He was one of the people that was ventilated. And two days later, they told me he was going to die and to pull the plug yeah. because it was cruel. And and for 12 weeks after that, he was on the edge of death in a coma for a month, woke up paralyzed from the head to the toe, head to toe. And after almost five months in the hospital, came home in a wheelchair. An absolute miracle though, because he beat all odds. And just last week, we had one of the doctors come visit us and the doctor actually cried. Wow. Because not only did he beat the odds, he beat death, he beat the ventilator, which they said couldn't be done because of how, what bad shape he was in. Yeah. Then they said he wouldn't beat the oxygen. He came home on oxygen 24 seven, like an old man. Yeah. And um, he beat that. And they said he'd never surf again. Well, just last week we got back from a trip to Fiji surfing a very heavy big wave called cloud break and for Drew that was like the closure of this Amazing. nightmare that we lived through Amazing. and he is he didn't work for a year and by some miracle we never went out of business um I don't even know how that happened that we stayed in business with him not working for a year, but he is yeah. back to work. He's back to surfing and we are living our lives big <laughs> right yeah. now because we're so grateful to have a second chance. Amazing. What an inspiration. What an inspiration. I, what do you think? What do you think got him through? What got all of you through that? That, that must have been such a roller coaster. Uh, words cannot describe the living hell that I went through every day for more than half a year. Every day, not knowing if he was going to die. Every day, may, having to make medical decisions that could kill him if I made the wrong choice. Oh, my word. Every day, fighting for alternative therapies because I knew that the protocol that we've come up with in such a short time for COVID, while it's the best we have, it's allowed millions to die. And I didn't want him to die. And so I really had some legal battles with the hospital, which is exhausting. Um, um, but we did it. So what do I think? 
Um, well, I think it was uh, a combination of things. Number one, he had a near-death experience during his coma and it he was sent back and that gave him a will to live, which he had a will to live anyway. Um, number two, there were alternative therapies uh, that I fought for that now doctors are telling me that they believe that's why he's made it when others, there were body bags coming out in the rooms next to him for months. Um, and then number three, now I hesitate to say this, but I'm gonna say it because I'm trying to be me yeah. publicly. Mm -hmm. I never would have said this before in my life, but I really believe that we, the thousands of people that were praying for him, even our atheist friends were sending him energy work mm -hmm. and people from around the world were sending him a life force energy and i never believed in this before but i believe in it now and i put a lot of thought into it and i i, I mean i this whole experience has been so astounding on so many levels I kept a journal. There were so many things that happened that seemed impossible that you can only explain with physics and 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 energy and the ether and and magic. Um, I'm writing a book about it, so you know uh, because it's just such an astounding story. Yeah. Well, when you're Laying in a hospital bed, he he lost a hundred pounds. He looked like he was a hundred years old. He was fifty. He lost his hair. He was paralyzed. His, I mean, he did not look like Drew. He looked like this old man that survived Auschwitz <laughs> death camp. And so when you're that ill and you're an inch from death for weeks and weeks, you have no life force in you. There's no spark. There's nothing. And I think that's where the love, the energy work, the prayers come in. That, And the more people that give it to you, the more it's going to spark this life force because you don't have your own. So, so you're borrowing it from other people and they're giving it to you. That's amazing. I know it sounds a little nutty for people who, and I'm not a religious person. Yeah. Um, I'm a spiritual person, but right. I, I witnessed it. It was a witness. I'm a witness to it. So that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm a big believer in the power of prayer. Uh, you know, there's there's almost like a gravitational weight, a force of that. And yeah, maybe that's a little woo woo, but that's, hey, you know, we're all individuals and we're all, but I mean, that's extraordinary. That's absolutely extraordinary. So I'm just so inspired, Maria, to see how he's pulled through against the odds. And, you know, you're an inspiration there as well. And it just, it's just, um, 
it, it's really incredible to see how you've come through because he is really he is a force of life, isn't he? he and and it's great to hear that from that experience, you're pivoting now, you're living large. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's it's made us more compassionate people. I mean, we've always been loving, compassionate people, but it, it took us to a whole nother level yeah. of loving and wanting to give to other people and give to the community and understanding people. You know, I think one of you mentioned as soon as we started that um, the last few years have been very chaotic, um, turned upside down, and we we see the best of people and we've seen the worst of people. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I really got is that everyone's fighting a battle, mm. but they don't show that. So you could be in a grocery store and someone looks grumpy and maybe it seems they're being rude to you, but you don't know. They might've just lost their pet or their mother, or they just got news that they have cancer. I mean, you just don't know. Everyone is fighting a battle and we have to be compassionate, even if we don't know what that battle is. Absolutely. You know, I, um, I, I think about that often. I was talking to somebody just the other day and I was saying, you know, it's 2023. And if you've still got your head above water at this stage, you know, not to freak people out or, or bring the tone down at all, but if you're, if you're still out there kicking, if you're still swinging, props to you, ace, that is amazing. Because the amount of crap that life has thrown our way, the amount of stuff that people are going through. You know, I heard this once where people are, it's like people are on a scale of one to 10, people are living their lives at a, like an eight or a nine. And it just takes that one little thing to just get added to the pile and boom. And so somebody cuts you off in traffic and then there, there's, there's a whole blow up as a result of that. Or, you know, somebody takes the last roll of paper towels while you're there at the grocery store. And then there's a bit of, we, don't, like know, uh, we don't know where people are at though. And yeah, I'm yeah. going to admit, you know, Maria, I, recently I've I've experienced a little bit of that just personally with with just hitting this point um, of overwhelm with all of this stuff going on. And then, you know, problems and little things are starting to pile up. And Rachel, my wife, was just saying, hey, you're doing OK. You're doing OK. You know, look at what's going on. And here you are. You're doing fine. You know, sometimes I think. Um, you know, she, she was sent to me from, from another dimension to just <laughs> help me see things from a different perspective. So good to have somebody to remind you because we forget how far we've come. We yeah. get disappointed in ourselves. We didn't finish things. I mean, I, I was mad at myself last year that I didn't finish a book I was writing. And I'm like, well, you know, I have to give myself some grace. <laughs> I didn't work for half a year taking yeah. care of drew and dealing with all that and um if you take time to look at how far you've come you have to appreciate that you have to appreciate and artists are the the hardest on themselves creative people because we see someone else doing something so much better than us yeah and we forget that maybe that person's been doing it for 20 years longer or 10 years longer and maybe 
um, you know, we've been focusing on something else and there's other things that we're really great at. And we take, we take our talents for granted because they come so easily to us and we forget that, you know, every single one of us has something unique and special and a talent that other people look at and say, oh, wow, I wish I had that. Yeah. I, I, I'd love to go there if you don't mind. And I actually, uh, from my academy, I've got a, uh, uh, one of my students here has, has asked a fantastic question about marketing and a little bit of um, on the social media side of things. But just, just on that point that you've made there, I, I've found this recently with being online, you know, Instagram, all that. I, I've got a love hate relationship with Instagram. Instagram's given me access to amazing people around the world, such as yourself, you know, where we're able to follow each other, we're able to connect. But it's so easy to get into that mindset of going after a number and followers. And then you're looking at somebody else and you're like, oh, so-and-so has got like hundreds of thousands, millions of followers. And then you're like, well, then look at my following. And, and you know, look at the quality of their work and, and look at my work. And, and there's this this contrasting comparison that we use as a bat to beat ourselves over the head with, it's, it's, yeah. it's quite difficult. How do we first, and, and then I do want to get into some real nitty gritty social media stuff. Cause I know you're great with that kind of thing, but how do we prevent from, from letting that destroy us? What's a healthier way to look at this and use social, social media without having it really eat our lunch for us? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and I know what you mean exactly because I get that too. I'll look at other people doing similar things to me and they have, you know, a gajillion more followers, but granted, they actually do Instagram better than me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, because they're doing all the things and I don't, I'm so busy. Let me just say, I'm so busy doing the work mm -hmm. that I don't have time to do all the things on Instagram. So I give myself a break on that. Mm -hmm. I think with that and, and everything else in life that we can feel insecure about ourselves because we see what other people are doing and they might be doing some things better than us. And then sometimes that insecurity turns into a little bit of bitterness and we get a little angry at the people around us because we don't feel fully supported. And, you know, some people take that really far and they end up hating the world because they feel like they're not loved by the world. And I've been thinking about this lately. And because I've been dealing with some of my own insecurities and I've realized that the times that I am less insecure and more confident in whatever I'm doing, it's when I am focused on doing the work, mm. the important work. And the important work is the creating. It's the making the art, the writing the books, sculpting the sculptures, whatever your art is, making the music. So when you are focused on, I'll give an example on uh, a friend of mine. I won't name her name because I don't have her permission to tell this story, but a very dear friend of mine. She's kind of a new artist. She's only been making art a couple of years and it's 
not a job for her, although she wants it to be. And she was feeling a lot of jealousy and a lot of insecurity for these other artists who were doing similar type of work that she does, but they're much further ahead of her. And it was actually making her feel horrible and making her feel bad about herself, making her angry. And you know how jealousy can kind of make you a little ugly. And then one day, and I saw this happen and it was so awesome. She was like, I am going to create a whole new series of art and I'm going to find a place to, to display it. And all of a sudden she had this focus on this big project and she had never done a series of art. She's only done one piece of art at a time. So now she had this plan and she was doing, I don't know, like six paintings. And with that focus, she was working in her garage every day after work, making this art and had no time to feel insecure, jealous or anything. And she put her head down, did the work and ended up showing it in a, in a local uh, spot here in San Clemente. And she, and it's great. It's a beautiful series of art and she's very proud of it. And that was how she shifted that. So I know that doesn't answer the question about social media specifically, well, but no, we can go back does. to that. No, it does it, perfectly. Because I, 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 I think this is the thing about artists today. Uh, well, I, I'm generalizing, I know. So forgive me, folks. But um, I think that the, th this is a problem that I, you know, in talking to other artists, something that they've highlighted is that, yeah, you do get kind of lost in that, this contrast comparison. And it's, I don't know, I, I find that even um, the, the way the way posts are shown to you or, or the, the little notification things, there's, there's something that gets triggered mentally continually. And it's, for me, it's almost anxiety inducing as well, you know? And, and so there, there is a side to this, but, but you said it there um, to your point, which I love, it's focusing on the thing that matters, the, the creativity itself. So, so I was in that spot recently and, and then it was just like, you know what, enough. I'm gonna focus on it very much like, like the person in your story. I'm gonna focus on a new body of work. I'm gonna to get to work on what actually is important and focus there. The irony is, is that as soon as you do that and you're doing your authentic thing and you just go, screw it, I'm just, I'm just doing my thing, screw it. Um, you end up getting more followers that way. People, there, there's a gravity to what you're doing and people are like, hey, that's cool. That's cool. I see you see right. what you're doing there. Exactly. You don't even have to try to get new followers because you're doing the work and you're sharing. And, and if you take it that step where some artists are shy about this, but sharing your creative process. Now, I'm not saying, you know, show all your secrets or whatever. You don't have to do that, but showing you working, making the work and maybe sharing how you feel about it and sharing some of your screw ups and like, oh my gosh, I totally blew it on this one. I tried this new thing. It didn't work. Had to start over again. People gravitate to those stories. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So I'll, I'll ask this question from Cove uh, from the Academy, but um, I'll just say first, you know, and I mentioned this in a past episode, 
that recently I, I did kind of lose the thread of what was important in terms of Instagram. And I was looking at, okay, how do I make my posts go a bit further? How do I grow my account? How do I reach more people? I was also looking at it from a business standpoint, of course. And I, I got too far off into that camp without really focusing on the connecting with people. And so I saw this thing where this person was saying, okay, well, it's going to take half a dozen posts per day to your feed, a few stories per day, a couple of reels per day. And as soon as they just started rattling off this list, going, who's got time for this stuff? And, and I found it made me kind of angry. I do not. <laughs> uh, I do not either. So it made, me, it made me really angry at the time. And I was like, no. But then I thought, okay, what could I do? So I thought, okay, well, I'll post four times a day. And, and we'll see what we can do. And that for me, that was a lot. I was struggling to post once a day, but I'm like, if I That's really push it, I can post four times a day. Well, the result of that experience is experiment. So I had, I had 123,000 followers at the time. Wow. I, I grew 400 followers and I lost 200. So oh. then I'm thinking, what's up with that algorithm? Like you would think that wow. Instagram would be like, hey, go you, you're going to reach more people. We'll push you out a little bit more. But I'm like, no, I think I actually pissed people off because they're like, Tish, too much, too much. You're yeah. annoying me. I'll see you later. And, and I'm sure that happened. And so from there, I just thought, screw it. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. But I, I picked up the thread again and just going, okay, I'm going to post when I've got something to post, when I'm ready to post. And then people can hear from me and, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but th this question that I've got here, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'll get to the question. It's a great question. How can one self market their work and get known online without selling themselves to the social media algorithms? And second question is, how can you balance the business side of art with the actual painting? Great question. Something that I actually right. so struggle with as two well. Two totally different questions. Yes. So let's do the first one let's first. Let's do the first one. Yeah. One thing that really works, and this uh, will help you get better known online without selling out to the social media thing, is to collaborate with a person or an entity that has a massive audience. And when I say massive, I mean 100,000, 500,000, a million, the bigger, the better do something, do a collaboration with a company or an entity that is much larger than yourself. So then they are introducing you to their audience. That's part one. Part two, you have to take advantage of it in a proper way. Um, and, and that is you have to find a way to connect with their audience members that fall in love with you. And that would be a newsletter list or some other way. Newsletter list is really the best way I know how. That's really effective. And the way you do that is you have to just kind of take some time and brainstorm what company or person or entity or charity out there that has a huge audience is uh, has a mission that's similar to mine. They care about the same things I care about that I demonstrate in my art and so their audience is going to care about what i do because it's synergistic and then you have to ask yourself what can i give to this company what do i bring to the table to make it worth their while to introduce me to their audience and 
there's always something there. There's always something. I'll give you an example. Um, okay, so we've done this with my husband, Drew. He, we're always trying to increase his Instagram followers, but he hardly ever posts on Instagram. Um, definitely not every day because he's so busy painting. He's not posting. And so he has a friend that is the founder of Lost Surfboards and Lost Surfboards has a, oh my gosh, like millions of fans around the world in the surfing world. And so every now and again, Drew will do a little collaboration project list, the, the founder of Lost Surfboards. And Matt will post it on his Instagram, his personal Instagram. Matt has a huge following. And every time he does that, like in one day, Drew will get 400 new followers. Awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. And then, um, recently Drew and Matt Biolis and LibTech, it's a snowboard company. They did a collaboration together and where Drew created the artwork for this LibTech snowboard. And it's a whole new audience because mm -hmm. Drew's audience is mostly surfers and some like people who were into plant medicine and stuff, but it's mostly surfers. And this introduced him to a whole new world of people who love snowboarding. While there is a little bit of crossover from snowboarding to surfing, it was a whole new audience. So that collaboration brought him so many new fans. Mm. That's awesome. That's awesome. Really interesting niche too. There's something, there's so much power in a niche and being authentic to that thing you're really into and then going to find your people authentically. You know, I think Drew Drew highlights that so perfectly. You know, he's got the whole surf art thing going. He does amazing work. I really would love to get him on the podcast and have a chat to him. But um, he, he just fulfills that that so beautifully and, and awesome to hear that the snowboarding's opened up for him as well. That's incredible. Great idea. So let's say if, if you're just kind of starting out and, and you've got you've got a, a bit of a following, let's say, you know, 500 to 1000 and you want to go to the next level, you're OK at painting, you're OK at drawing, you know, you've got some skills and people are noticing you there. Everybody was pushing it going, oh, you should start an Instagram. What do you do then? Like, how do you find that person? Is it just a, or, or, or entity? Like, and what would that approach look like? Would you, you'd be sending them an email? You would do, do as professional approaches as, as you can, I, I imagine. So if you've never collaborated with anyone before, mm. I would recommend starting local. Don't go for the giant mega corporation or entity. Go, go practice by working with someone who has a smaller audience and it's less intimidating for you to approach them. Mm -hmm. So let me think of an example. Um, let's say, you know, in your local town, um, uh, let's, let's say you, you love painting fruits and vegetables. And there's a lot of artists out there that do this. 
Uh, or painting bees or, you know, like I know a lot of artists that just like love bees. Okay. I'll use that as an example. Cause that's a great example. Look for a local bee company, a, 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 a honey company, a company that makes honey products and go to them and say, Hey, um, you know, my art is like perfect with your product. I'd love to do some sort of collaboration and look for a way that it benefits them hmm. right you're not asking for a handout you want to contribute to them and in return you ask them to put your name in their newsletter link to your website mention you on their social media but you want to find a way to contribute to them mm -hmm. and this just takes brainstorming you really the first thing i do is i i go through a company's website and I look at what they're doing and get a feel for what's important to them. Are they having local events? Maybe, maybe you could volunteer to help them at an event and find a way to let your art be a part of what they're doing. Maybe, um, maybe you have these really cute little paper prints or you can make pr prints and say, Hey, let's do a giveaway to your audience. Um, or you could even see if they want to do your art on their label. If they were, they, they have, you know, you could do this with beer companies too. This beer companies are, breweries are really easy to do this with. That's even better. Um, you but you get where I'm going with this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that because I've, I've actually done this before and, um, I just realized it when you were, when you were saying that I, I teamed up with an adventure cruise company that tours around the Kimberley, a re remote wilderness region of the top of the Western Australia. And it's just an incredible place to be, but to see it aboard the true North is just amazing. Like th these guys do it better than anybody else. And I, I still think about those those two weeks that I had on board in 2010. I was there again in 2015. But when I went on board, they were like, okay, well, do you want to do you want to help us decorate the ship? And I, I gave them limited edition prints framed. And then they featured me in their newsletter. They featured me in a little bit of video content here. And still I'm in touch with them, you know, now and again, they'll they'll like some of my posts and things. But um that was some some way that I was able to actually not only interface with them, but they put me in front of their clientele, which ended up becoming my clients. And and that was just something that just went click. But I had the thought the other day, um, I took my wife, Rachel, out for lunch. We don't get to go out often because we're the, we're the only ones in the Bay. It takes two hours to get out from where we are to the nearest town. We're in like remote wilderness in New Zealand. It's beautiful, but it's, it's oh. very isolated. And so we're sitting at lunch. We went to lunch at this winery and um, beautiful restaurant. And I was looking around going, a lot of empty walls in here. There's, a, there's an opportunity here. And then I, I looked at the table next to us and I'm judging them. Of course I'm judging them. I said, those are nice clothes. They got money. Uh-huh. Yeah. I need to get a painting on that wall, <laughs> you know? And, and I was just thinking about it, just going, man, the opportunities are everywhere, but what's the deal? Like we have this, this way that we look at art and our art career as this prescribed path of ABC, high school, art school, career, or gallery, death. You know, it, it's this thing, this, this, people aren't really thinking outside the box. You, you uh -huh. are though, you've got those solutions. 
Yeah, you have to do things in a different way than what you were taught when it comes to art. That's the only way Drew and I have been able to make a living with art, not just him make a living for himself, but him uh, pay me. Because if I didn't work for him, he would have to pay someone else to do what I do. Or he would have to stay much smaller. And I mention that because I hear this sometimes, oh, Maria, well, Drew's lucky he has you to do this for him. And I say, well, no, he's not lucky. I get paid to do this. If I didn't get paid to do it, I wouldn't be able to do it. And I mentioned that that's important because you can do a lot on your own if you're willing to think outside the box, do things that are a little uncomfortable until they become comfortable. And then when you're ready to expand, then you can hire someone to do a lot of that stuff for you. And then you get even bigger. Um, but we've had to be really scrappy and I think that is the key to being successful and making a living and supporting a family off your art is to be scrappy, always look for opportunities like you do always when you, everywhere you go, look for an opportunity. Now I'm going to share something with you. And if you listen, it's going to change things and make things a little easier for you. Let's go. If there's anything you want to do, let's say you there's a company you want to do something with. Remember this, the seven degrees of separation. Mm. Ask everybody you know, do you know anybody that works at this company or that has a has an in at this company? If you ask everybody you know, you're going to eventually find somebody that says, oh, yeah, I have a friend whose husband works there. Maybe he can help you get in touch with the person who you need to talk to. People don't do this. Mm. And you should ask for help and ask everybody you know. And if you're on Facebook and you have a lot of Facebook friends, that's a really great place to ask for help because people want to help. Hmm. You know, you don't love to help. That highlights as well the importance of, of friends and family. Like people downplay that, but you know, even the people that are in our immediate circle that we're just like, ah, it's just them. It's just my auntie or my uncle or, you know, my brother and his wife or whatever. It, you know, it, you, you don't, you sometimes don't see that there could be an opportunity right there if you just ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. The, the other part of this question from Cove, um, which I, I really would love to get into. Uh, Maria, this is something that I personally um, struggle with, a, which is that, that elusive balance. I, I've given up on it. I don't know what balance is. I think everybody has their own sense of balance. But how do you balance the business side uh, well, the specific context of this question is a little bit different than where I was going, granted, but uh, how can you balance the business side of art with the actual painting? And and so for me personally, like I find that I do have the tendency, if I don't control it and put a cap on it, the business minutia eats the day and I don't have much time for painting at the end of the day. The thing that gives you freedom and balance is structure and setting a schedule and this i've talked to so many artists that do this very successfully 
they make certain days of the week, their marketing and paperwork and bookkeeping and all that stuff, the business side. And they carve out their most productive time of the day to make the art and turn off the phone, turn off everything and just focus on that. And that it, it really is just a discipline. It is almost impossible to be creating, writing, painting, making music, and at the same time, think about business. It's, you can't really do that. You have to work in blocks of time. I, I as an author, as a writer, I have to turn off everything when I'm writing. I, I even tell, tell my husband now, I don't have kids at home anymore, but back when I had kids at home, I'd be like, okay, nobody bother me for two hours. Don't, not unless the house is on fire. <laughs> Otherwise, it waits until I'm finished and you just have to work in that block of time. That's what works. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, structure, it's not the strong suit of many artists out there. You know, we're, we're a flaky bunch. I am super ADHD. And I'm a fairy, as in, I don't do things in order of A, B, C, D. I go A, F, Z, G. And finally, at my ripe old age of something, something, <laughs> which I'm not going to say. At my old age, I finally get it through my head. I finally accept that that's my brilliance. And I've yeah. stopped fighting against it. And I allow myself to work in a disorganized way. But the blocks of time that I have to do if I'm going to get anything accomplished. Yeah. And it's discipline actually gives you freedom. Yeah. I heard a quote once, um, well, recently, and it just it just resonated with me so much. If you do what's easy, your life is hard. But if you do what's hard, your life is easy. Yeah, it's so true. It's like you're yeah. the choices that you make. I used to say to my kids, make wise choices. And they yeah. hated that. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean to a young person, though? They're like, oh, my. Because I sure didn't make wise choices as a teenager. Oh, my God. <laughs> I made the... I'm so lucky I didn't end up in jail or dead. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm one of the few of my friends that didn't go to jail at least for an hour. Like I, somebody <laughs> was looking out for me. <laughs> well done. <laughs> my husband says I've never met. He he's like astounded when he me and some of my old friends get together and my sisters, and he's like. It's surprising to me how you have so many friends and family members that actually went to jail. <laughs> and they say, well, we grew up in the country. There was nothing to do but get in trouble. Wow. <laughs> Maria Brophy, this is really a tell-all. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, the, the, I'll, I'll get into the second part of that question from Cove. And um, and, and, and again, this question kind of, it, it, it's a it's talking about those two different those two different paths of okay so if an artist is going to market their work online and chooses the gallery route 
Okay, how can you achieve the same level of recognition or and success? Is it possible? So, or sorry, if an artist is not going to market their work online and chooses the gallery route. So it, it, for, for Cove, it sounds like it's an either or kind of thing. For me, it's been both so many times. Now it's just, I, I've now gone strictly independent. I'm just doing my own thing. I'm not working with an agent currently. I don't know if I will again, but um, I, I, I kind of enjoy being in control of my own ship here. But how, how, how would you answer this, Maria? So if they're not going to go the, 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 the uh, market online and they're going to choose the gallery route, how could they still have that same level of impact by delegating all this to the gallery? It's a rare thing for a gallery to do a good job marketing. Mm. And the galleries that do a good job marketing, you better be one of top of what you do to find a gallery that's a good gallery to do that because to market an artist it takes so much effort so much so much time it costs so much money um that a gallery is not going to invest that in you unless you are already selling a lot of art so i think that's a um it's a very small percentage of people who are going to be accepted in the galleries, in the very small percentage of galleries that are actually really good at marketing artists. Not to say it's impossible. I'm not going to crush your dreams. But the reality is nobody gives a crap about your art but you when it's all said and done. So if you put all your eggs in one basket of one gallery or one gallery system, and then you have a falling out with them or they have a, they go out of business, uh, a, a natural disaster happens and they are, you know, they lose their building. I mean, there's so many things that can happen yeah. that now you've lost everything and you've built mm. up nothing. Mm. Your art is your asset. Your name is your asset. You want to be the owner of your audience. You don't want to give that to someone else. What I would recommend doing is, yeah, put your art in a gallery if that's what you want to do and have an online presence. And if you don't want to handle it, if you don't want to do the social media, hire somebody. There are people that will do it for cheap and at least have an online presence that you own and you're in control of. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Because I mean, if you have a situation, so you, you talk about natural disaster, another disaster of sorts is what we experienced with, you know, coronavirus and, and the lockdowns. And so now you have galleries that are actually closing down and some of them didn't even recover or bounce back. But you had people yeah. that were online thriving. You know, 2020 was my best year so far. I was selling art, I was selling courses yeah. and doing all that stuff. Because why? Everybody's at home on their phones. And they're like, oh, check this out. Oh, that's cool. And 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 I, I know of a lot of artists that had, you know, a great year, but I also know of, of many that that not so great, uh, really struggled. Right. So it just depends how you're positioned. You know, I, I, I really yeah. appreciate that because it's, 
it's also, I, I think, you know, embracing the old school. So having those, those old business models and the new school as well, I think it's going to take both, you know? Yeah. You never want to put your entire life career in the hands of someone else. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You have to have a little control there. I got a great question here from Colleen, and this is something that I really know very little about, but you know, maybe we touched on this earlier with, you know, teaming up with a company, but Colleen wants to know, um, dealing with companies, specifically licensing. Um, I've emailed dozens of companies and discouraged to wade through a hundred plus. How can I narrow it down to who I'm supposed to be contacting, who to connect with? So she's obviously, you know, been producing art. She wants to get her art licensed. She wants to team up with some sort of licensing company but it's just having trouble getting her foot in the door. Well, I would recommend starting local, starting small mm -hmm. because it's easy. It's easier. I don't know what kind of art Colleen does, but, um, you know, earlier I mentioned local companies like B, you know, honey companies, breweries, wine companies, there are uh, drink companies. Um, oh my gosh, there's just a million products out there. And most of these companies, they don't have in-house artists. And if they do, the in-house artists aren't thinking outside the box because they're clocking in and out. And when you're a clocker in and outer, you tend to not think outside the box. And so there is a lot of value that you can bring to a company. And I say, start small. That way you get your practice, you get your footing on how to word your emails, how to have a conversation over the phone and how to put the deal together because there is, it's a sharp learning curve to, to do it all. Mm. Because once you get them on the phone, then you're like, oh, how do I have this conversation with them? And you learn to ask a lot of questions and to do a lot of listening. And then you learn to look for ways that your art will help them sell more products because that's the only reason they're going to do a licensing deal with you. And then the next step, if they're interested, is, okay, how much money do I ask for? And how do we go forward from here? So all that takes practice. And the best way to learn about art licensing is by doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes there's just no shortcut. You've just got to jump in, right? You have to just jump off that ledge. Yeah. <laughs> you just yeah. got to do it. Dang it. Stop thinking about <laughs> it and just do it. What's the worst that can happen? Just know that, you know, a good number of the people you approach will say no or won't say anything at all. But yeah. eventually you're going to find somebody that says, yeah, this is a great idea. Do you know we've been just talking about how we need art? And look at this. You came to us. But it's a fear of that no, Maria, that I think so many people, they, they find debilitating. I know I did in the beginning. I was terrified to hear people yeah. say, hey, kid, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then after no. I heard no enough times, I'm like, oh, that's not so bad. That's all right. You know, and it's just like next, next. Yeah. 
No, I, I can relate because I still get that feeling after doing this for 25 years. I still hesitate to make that phone call. And then I'm like, okay, just, just got to do it. And one thing that really helps me is I will take a moment before I dial that number and I'll take a breath and I'll say, okay, my intention is to make the person on the other end of the phone feel really good and to make them feel appreciated and to make them feel loved. And I know that sounds odd, but when you get yourself in that mindset, then when you're speaking, you're putting your focus on them and not yourself. And they feel that and then they respond in a more friendly way. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, oh man, you're, you're, you're hitting so many, so many buttons for me. And exactly that thought I was having the other day when I, I kind of, cause I do lose my way from time to time. And I, I was thinking about this going, you know what? I, I'm so focused on the getting and I'm not focused on the giving. Just don't focus on the, on these things. They'll sort themselves out. Focus on providing an awesome service. Now, who know, needs to go and get that service? Who, who who can you go and help today? Who can you serve? And as soon as I start thinking like that, going, I'm here to help people. That's what I'm here to do. It fills me with a different kind of energy. You know, talking about energy again. There's, yeah. I, I think there's something to this because when you're going, can I get something here? it's 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 a repellent you're repulsing people you're pushing them away it comes through yeah even if you're it's on the phone you know one of my tricks when i used to cold call and and also talk to clients was just smile when i'm talking because it actually comes through it does it does well and i find that you know if we put our focus on making the other person feel good then we don't feel intimidated because one thing, one thing I have seen over the years when we've been putting a deal together with a company, it took me years to figure this out, but I finally figured it out that most of the companies aren't used to working with outside artists. So they're looking to me to tell them how it works and they actually feel a little uncomfortable and a little like unsure and hmm, how do we do this? And I don't know what to offer you. And I don't have a way of working with artists. So, you know, sometimes they feel a little intimidated by the artist. So that's why you want to make them feel good. Yeah. And, and even if it doesn't work out, you've made a contact and they're, conversation with you left them feeling good and they're always going to remember that and maybe one day in the future that will come back and so sometimes a no doesn't necessarily mean no it means just hey not right now but if you're cool maybe later yeah absolutely i mean there's been many times we've been told no and then two hmm. years later we're doing the deal with the company yeah yeah I got a great question here from Alice, um, who's asked, uh, in the very fast paced environment, 
and the age of information we live in. I'd like to ask if whether there is a, any different approach updated to the real times Maria would consider for the selling process. So I guess just in regards to has has the way we sell our work changed from from the past. The second part to this though is um, I believe trying to call 100 to 200 potential clients to exhibit or sell paintings is simply not doing it any longer in these times. So maybe maybe that approach is no longer needed. But again, I mean, I, personally, I'd say do both. Do both. Old school and new school. That's just me. What do you think, Maria? I totally agree. So old school that still works wildly for us is newsletters. People say nobody opens emails anymore. Maybe that's true for a percentage, but we still sell a ton of art through our newsletter list. And so we're always trying to add new names to that list to keep it fresh, get new new blood in there. The other thing, the thing that's changed is how we close some deals. So we recently, Drew recently came out with a whole new series of art. We did a live event here at the gallery, unveiling the art. And then we sent a newsletter out with the artwork the same time the uh, show opened so that people who don't live here locally that couldn't come could see the art. And we had a special website page set up for them to see all the new stuff and the ability for them to order it and buy it. So we sold a lot of art that night. And then the next couple of days, we um, had a, some people that got the newsletter and they were interested in buying. But the, the here's the new thing. What I find is I wanna get really personal with people. So if someone's interested, we're doing it by text because people don't like talking on the phone. So older people do. Still the old people call me, um, but the younger people want to do everything by text. So what I always do, even though they've saw pictures of the painting, they saw Drew painting it on social media, I still will make a little video of me talking directly to them. Hey, Jim, I know you're really interested in this painting called Campfire. Check it out. And there's a little, you know, and I'm showing it and talking about a couple key features about it. And then I text it to him. And it's a going back and forth, back and forth by text. And they the answer is not no until they say, I decided not to buy it. Mm -hmm. If they did, if they don't answer me for two days, I keep following up and I keep following up. And I keep texting saying, hey, did you make a decision yet? Hey, checking in. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't stop until they tell me, okay, I made a decision. I'm not buying it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really highlighting a lot for me, Maria. I think I need to be a little bit more persistent with some of these things just personally. I, okay. I so to... look at it this way. You might, mm. you might have somebody listening saying, oh, I don't want to be a pain in the butt to these people. I don't want to be a pest. I don't want to annoy them. People who buy art, especially people who spend a lot of money on art, they don't see it as an annoyance. You are here to serve them. 
they're busy as hell. These people that have a lot of money, our clients that are wealthy, I look at it like this. I'm making it easy for them. They don't have to remember to contact me. They got caught up in all these meetings or they're doing something with their family. It's my job to make it easy for them. And by reminding them that they were interested and they still haven't given me their decision, I'm making it easy for them. And then if they come back and say, yeah, I decided not to get it. I say, thank you for letting me know. And thank you know, it's been great talking to you and thank you. And let me know if you change your mind and that's it. And I'm appreciative that they let me know. But a lot of times they come back and say, oh yeah, I just got so caught up. I'm sorry. I went silent for five days. I had this nightmare at the office and yeah, now, now I'm ready to buy it. Wow. Yeah. Far out. I, I, I think, I think I need to, uh, I think I need to get back to work and actually uh, start doing a bit more of the, uh, the old school. I, I've got an interesting question here though. So if you, if you, are, are in that position where you want to interface with clients through an email list, you want to send them emails, but you're looking at it going, shoot, not really a lot of names on that email list. What is out of that potential pool of people that I have in front of me? It's a little tiny puddle. So how, how could I increase the names on that list? And this is something that Ellen wants to know. And she's also said, you know, again, agreeing with Alice's uh, question um, and wanted to know that as well. But what are some of those updated ways that she can reach potential clients? The doing festivals is not going to happen, she says. I wonder what she means by that. But I send out a newsletter, but through emails and social media, no one wants to sign up for my newsletter, says Ellen. So um, how can we help Ellen out and, and uh, get some more signups on that newsletter? Well, you, okay, so there's a couple elements to this. One, they have to be interested in you and your story. And this is where the social media thing comes in because you, you wanna show who you are. And if someone's connecting with you on social media, connecting with you in a way they're leaving comments, maybe DMing you, responding to whatever you're putting out there, you can one by one say, oh, if you're interested, can I add you to my email list? Um, it's a little bit of work, but it's so worth it. Another, so that's, that's the slow way, but it works because you are one by one connecting with people and asking them if you can add them to your email list. And a lot of people will say yes. For, uh, to cast a wider net, you want to give someone a reason to sign up for your email list. And this is where you have to brainstorm. So for us, we come out with special, what we call a drop every couple months where Drew's dropping something special. And we tell people, if you want to be the first to know when his new skateboard decks come out, you need to get on our email list and click the link in the bio. Because we have this thing where we release it to his email list first because we've run out of the special things where there's only like 25 They'll sell out like that. 
And then we announce it to the general public the next day. If your audience is not big enough to do that yet, then maybe get creative and come up with something you can give that doesn't cost you anything, like some kind of digital download, some reason to make them want to sign up. Hmm. Going back to the idea of collaborating, if you can come up with a reason for people to sign up, when you collaborate with a larger audience, if you can get them to tell their audience, like for example, I'm just making this up, but this is an idea. You create artwork with bees on them. You do a collaboration with a honey company and you say, look, I have this really popular image that everybody loves. I'm going to make it available as a digital download that people can color in, like say like an adult coloring book. And will you put this in your newsletter? And for people to get this, they have to sign up for my newsletter. And so you're going to give them a link in your newsletter. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Like just coming up with creative ways to do it, to get people on your list. And once you start your newsletter list, you want to make sure that you're sending out information that is interesting to people and it can be as simple as the painting of the week and you put a picture of your painting in there and you tell a short story about the inspiration or the making of it and then you always have a call to action which is like a link for them to go to your website and look at your work absolutely that's awesome yeah yeah, it, it, for me, it was really difficult in the beginning getting those email signups, but I did an event. I, I did a, a presentation at an art society. So I went from zero to 70 in the space of one evening, and then I had a little bit of a list there. So again, that-, that That's another way to do it. And yeah. I actually talk about that in my book, Art Money Success, different ways to get people. And live events is a great way because you you could have a- drawing where okay give me your name and email address and i'm going to put you in a drawing to win something we we've had a lot of questions here uh for social media we'll move on from that topic but i i'm really curious and i've been asking everybody um and the folks are probably sick of it listening to the podcast already. They're like, get over this topic. But no, it, it for me, it's it's a massive paradigm shift. It's something that is just so, well, for me, it feels very out of the blue. But uh, AI, how do you feel <laughs> about AI, Maria? Is that something that you and Drew are embracing as part of your business? I haven't really personally found much of a use for it in my business because it, it takes, in terms of the creative side of things, I'm not interested because it removes that human element, but it's, I find it yeah. very interesting hearing other people's um, you know, take on that and, and no judgment at all, but I, I personally, I'm, it's not something I'm interested in. But from the business st- standpoint, I'm thinking, gee, I could get uh, a, a robot to write my newsletter for me 
Uh, I could get a robot to do some social media stuff for me, but I don't know that I'm interested in that either. I don't know. How do you guys feel about it? And what are you doing with, with Drew's art in regards to, to AI, if anything? Okay, so there's two different AIs. The, the one that does the writing and the marketing language. I have played around with that a little bit. It's actually astounding. <laughs> <laughs> it's it has helped me with a few things it's not perfect um but it has helped me word things a little better for marketing blurbs i don't use it all the time but i probably should because it's it's pretty magical as far as the artwork that people are making with ai i have zero interest in that admittedly i haven't put a lot of time into researching it looking into it um but my response to artists that are afraid of it like oh my god ai art is gonna like take away everybody's ability to make art i don't subscribe to that concern i think that ai art is not yet capable of putting life into artwork. And when I see art that is created by hand, there's so much life that comes through because your hand is an extension of your heart. And yeah, yeah. what you love and what you feel is coming through that. And when I look at like my husband's art, it's so vibrant. It's it's almost like everything's moving. I don't think AI can do that without totally copying his art. I'm not worried about it. The, the other thing that I think is that, you know, we're always afraid of new things and myself included. But the new things are taking over. And so we have to find a way to coexist with it. We have to find a way to surrender to it because we can't stop it. Mm. Mm. We have to know what we want for ourselves and not worry about what the rest of the world's doing. And we create our own reality. That's how we deal with these new things that are coming up that we're not in alignment with. We just stay in our own lane and do our own thing and be open-minded. Hmm. I like what you say about that connection though, between the hand and the heart. That's, that's so vital. It's, it's, you know, if people are looking for a leg up or a shortcut when it comes to producing their art, well, well this could do it so much faster than I'll just project that and paint that. I, I think it's really, um, I don't know, for me, it just takes everything that was important about the process and, and it just completely wipes that away. I just, I, and I, I don't even want to dabble in it. Um, I, I'm curious about it. I'm fascinated by it, uh, how it works. Um, I think it's freaky how quickly this all came online. Um, I, I don't know. It bit is woo -woo. freaky. Woo -woo oh my here. God. Yeah, I know it's a little bit woo-woo, but I am convinced it is absolutely sentient. I, I, I'm convinced that it is a form of consciousness in some way. That it it's not just binary. It's not just computation, that there's something even extra dimensional. I'm getting it's a, a lie. Real, 
Yeah, I'm getting a real Ephesians 6 uh, vibe about this, and people are reading the word. They know exactly what I'm talking about. But there's something there's something going on here that I think is um, not quite what it seems. Let's put it that way. So uh, from a spiritual standpoint, let's put it that way. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to partake because <laughs> I <laughs> I think I think it's something else. But um, look, I yeah. ch- changing lanes here. I got a great question here from Lynn. Uh, who's asked, um, I'm on the cusp of transition from full-time work to full-time artist, which is awesome. This is so cool to hear. I have projections of what my income would be based on restrained restrained sales to date uh, due to be categorized as a hobby. What could I potentially do? Shall I set up the business model now or wait till I do the transition? I'm thinking, is there a secondary tax implications if I do it now? and I was jumping in the comments there as well, just saying to Lynn, just go for it. Worry about the tax later. Just go full time. If you yeah. can make that switch, do it now. But what do you think, Maria? Um, I agree. Like, I don't, I see things holding people back and slowing people down and just jump right into it and figure it out. Everything is going to evolve every week, every month, you're going to be evolving how you're doing things. And uh, don't let that slow you down. Just move into it. Um, This is not tax advice, because I can't give that I have enough trouble with my own taxes. (laughs) I'm never going to give tax advice. I, I pay a lot of money to somebody to do all that for me, because that's just too much for me to handle. Yeah. Um, I think that's important, though. I, I, I want to second what you've said there. Like for me, I, I don't know where I'd be if I had to do my own taxes. I have to delegate that stuff because somebody yeah. else, they know the law, they know the right boxes to take, get somebody yeah. to handle that, delegate that stuff. Yeah. But in terms of that transition from full time art to or, or sorry, from from full time work and just doing this as a hobby to just making that jump of going, shoot, I can do this full time. What are what are some of those considerations that Lynn's going to need in in really making sure that this isn't something that's just a flash for a couple of months? And then she's like, oh, shoot, you know what? I got to go back to work. I got to go and ask for my old job back. How, how can what's the what do you what do you think is a great approach or could, should we say mindset for me that that was something that got me through to to because there was definitely ebbs and flows but it was my mindset that just kept me pushing through those walls that would come up yeah um mindset mindset is huge you making that leap from working a job to working full-time as an artist she probably already has done this right she's made this decision in her mind this is what she's going to do you you can't allow yourself to entertain the thought of ever going back <laughs> to the job because then you haven't really made the decision. What you have to do is know what you want. You've already done the financial projections. Keep an open mind to how you reach those financial projections because most of the time, when you when an artist is making good money, it's usually not the way they thought they were going to do it. And it's usually not the way art school taught you it was possible. It's always something outside of that. And so you have to be wide open to all the opportunities. 
The other thing is you have to be really mindful of your time because time is money. Treat your time like it's a product because if you give too much of your time away, you are going to suffer the financial consequences of that. So that's something to be really mindful of. And one thing that's financially successful people know is that their time really is money. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your no, question. Well, that's something that that's really, uh, for, for me, that's just been so important to consider. I, I didn't really start getting to another level until I started measuring my time and becoming hyper aware of where I was spending it. And then working out and being very deliberate about my routine and working out a way that I could structure my day. Because I, I mean, I'm like you, you know, I'm a creative and, and I, I, I tend to be naturally a little bit disorganized. I've learned to embrace that, but the structure is what's helped me as well. But just being able to quantify that and just go, okay, where is this time going? That, that was something that was super important for me starting out. And still today, I, I recently got back in touch with those fundamentals. It's funny how we keep coming back to the fundamentals, right? Yeah. Yeah, this one artist I was coaching, she, she wanted her art to sell in a certain price point. Um, she wanted to keep it at $500 a piece because this was where she sold the most. But her problem was because everything she worked, she made collage. She did a little bit of painting and a lot of collage. And it just took a lot of time to make each piece. And I said, look, do a series of work and find a way to make it more efficient. Because each piece was taking her hours and hours and hours. And when we did the math on it, if we sold it at $500, which was her sweet spot, to sell a lot of art, she was only making, you know, I don't know, making this up $20 an hour. I mean, it just didn't scale at all. So she initially, she said, there's no way to cut my time down. For me to make this art look as great as it does, I have to put this much time into it. But then this is all mindset, right? You think there isn't a way. But I said, well, what if you create it a number of pieces, a whole series at the same time where they were similar, but different. So then you're using, cause she works with templates and all these things. And then you could create a larger body of work for a much shorter time period for each individual piece. And she had never thought about doing that. So she did it and she was able to get her time down to less than half of what it took. And so in that way, she could sell it for that amount in her sweet spot and just keep selling more art and reaching more people and doing bigger art shows. So just thinking in terms of how to get your time down and also look at how to keep your material costs down. And I learned this from an artist that I used to coach and now we just help each other all the time. I'm learning from him. He did almost a million dollars in sales last year. And I was wow. just like, oh my God, blew Goodness. me away. And he told me that, you know, all last year, his main focus was getting his costs down, 
his material costs, the what he paid other people to work for him to get it all down so that he could increase profit margin. And that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so that's been our focus this year, getting our costs down. I, I have a business coach um, that I've been working with uh, a, a little bit on, on the side and um, his name's Christopher and he was telling me where can we, it's not, I mean, cutting costs sounds bad, I know, because, you know, it, it sounds like you're creating something cheaper, but th- there is something to be said for finding any place where you can save some money, mm-hmm. knock the edge off a little bit, because he was saying like a little bit of cost saving here, look at what it does to your profit margin over here. And so if you can just start doing this, one thing I realized is that I, I'm working with a particular online platform right now that charges a particular percentage off of monthly subscriptions and we're about to jump ship to somebody that charges a flat rate and i'm thinking shoot man i'm gonna save like potentially thousands per month on this mm-hmm. just in fees i could hire right, so a new, i could should. hire a you new team absolutely should make that switch yeah yeah and before you make the switch contact the company customer service and say look i'm going to make this switch unless you can drop my fees to X, unless you can match what this other platform can do. I don't think they're going to give do it. it. A, <laughs> you don't think so? I don't think they're going to do it. They're a very big company. They start with P. <laughs> I'll leave it there. I don't you never think know. It yeah, doesn't hurt. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to try. Yeah, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't And then hurt. if they don't, but you're doing yeah. them a favor also, because if you're doing this, then a lot of other artists are doing this. Yeah. The the ones that are doing well. Yeah. Y- yeah. You never know. Yeah. You know, Maria, I, I, I still struggle with the money side of things, particularly receiving. I find myself wanting to undercut myself continually. You know, when I'm dealing with a client, give it to them for cheaper, selling myself short, not really claiming my worth. And, and I'm glad Trey's asked this. I, and I, I, I would love to hear what you what you think about this as well. But Trey wanted to know, what's a great starting point or a guide for pricing your work, remaining fair to both parties? So how do you be fair to yourself? But also, you don't want to rip the other person off too, right? You, you want to make sure that, that it's a fair exchange. How do, how do we get that as an artist? Oh, well, okay. So the pricing, you have to take into consideration all these different pieces of the puzzle your experience, your materials that you use. Are you using super quality materials? Are you using cheap materials? You have to look at the value you bring because there are so many different reasons people buy art. Some of it is commercial. So a company buying your art, they need it. Okay. So with a company, it's often valued more because you're you're providing a solution for them um you have to look at what the market will bear you have to look at what other people are charging for a similar thing but don't look at the people who aren't charging enough look at the people who are professional and have been in business for a while so i look at all those things and 
I have to admit, I struggle with this sometimes too, because there's always this fear. If I charge too much, I lose the deal. But if I don't charge enough, then I'm going to regret it. So there's always regret if you don't charge enough. It's important to charge enough so that you can do your best work. And here's what I recommend you do. When somebody says to you, oh my gosh, I love your art. And can you do this for me? How much is it going to cost? Never answer in the first conversation. Never let a dollar amount pass your lips. Okay. Here's what you do. The first thing you say is, let's talk about what you want. And then tomorrow, later, I'll put together some numbers and I'll let you know how much it will be. So give yourself a day. <laughs> okay. Never give a dollar amount on the spot unless you are fully comfortable with your pricing. But if this is for people who are not 100% comfortable with the pricing, because whatever number you give on the spot is always going to be wrong. So instead, what you do is you say, I'll give you a number later tomorrow. I'll text you or email you because you want it in writing. And then you say, let's talk about what you want. Tell me more about what you envision. Tell me about what you love that I've done already. And you and just ask them questions and get them talking about their vision and what they want and what they're excited about. And have a creative conversation with them that's a lot of fun. So focus on the value and what you're going to give them. Then after that conversation, when you go home or go off or you're in your own space, then get a pen and a piece of paper and start writing down, okay, this is what the person wants. This is how long I think it'll take. This is the all the materials it's going to take and start playing around with the numbers. And then you determine based on your estimation of how much time it's going to take and how much the supplies are going to cost, then you can come up with a fair number for yourself and that person. Makes sense. Makes sense. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, totally. So, I mean, how many times have you given a number on the spot and then later you went, no, why did I do that? Well, for me, yeah, look, it happens all the time. I, I'm worried that I scare people away because, I mean, <clears throat> I get I get approached all the time on, on Instagram, for instance, in, in those messages. Hey, I really love your work. I want to buy something. I want to commission something or whatever. And I say, cool, this is how much it's going to be. Like immediately, I'm just like, bam. And then I crickets. <laughs> so, okay. I, you know, but that's, that's, that's okay. I mean, I do have clients I'm doing all right, but I, I, yeah, I'd, I'd like to sell some more work. Am I scaring people, Maria? Maybe. Some of them you might be scaring. A lot of them weren't serious when they asked the question. Yeah. Most of them were not serious. They had this impulse they love your art. They have this impulse. They sent you a message. They didn't really mean it. That's most people on Instagram. Hmm. So, and, and also I found that Instagram is more lower end art. It's easy to sell something that's 
under a couple hundred bucks on Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's much harder to find people that are going to spend in the thousands. It's yeah. it tends to not be where the buyers are in the higher price range. Mm -hmm. Um, but here's a mistake you might be making with giving them a price right away. Instead of giving them a price, okay, that's what I want you to do next time. Don't give a price, ask them a question that doesn't have to do with money. So let's say somebody sent you a message on Instagram and they say, oh my God, I love your work. How much to commission a piece? I'd go back and I'd say, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to do a commission for you. Let me, uh, t tell me where do you, what's, do you have an idea in mind of where you want to put it? Is it going in your home or your office? Question mark. It's a great question. So, yeah. so now you've got them envisioning where it's going to go. Yeah. So if they're one of those people that weren't serious, they're not even going to answer that question. But if they're serious, now they're thinking, oh, yeah, I have a spot in my office and I want to put it right next to my desk. So then they'll tell you, so now you know they're a serious buyer. So now you can say, what size were you thinking? Have you measured the space? So you just get the conversation going back and forth. Yeah. Then you say, okay, here's a couple different options. You can, you know, and you give them two or three options, hmm. high priced option, mid, low, different sizes. Even if they say, oh, I've got this giant, you know, I want a 36 inch by 48 inch original painting. Well, that's going to cost, I don't know what you charge for that. What do you, what would you charge for that? Personally? Mm -hmm. for, for a 36 by 48? Mm-hmm. Um... I know that's huge. At the moment, probably around $35,000. Okay. And then, so you give them that option and then you give them a mid option. And, and then I don't, do you sell prints of your art? Like canvas prints? I, I, I was at one point, I will be starting that up again. Just doing So then you could own. say, yeah. if this doesn't work for you, I have mm. beautiful art prints that right. you could work. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. But first, have a conversation back and forth that doesn't have to do with money. Even though they asked about money, ignore that the first couple responses. Because hmm. um, you want to get them on the hook emotionally. But that's that's it, isn't it? Because that it sounds so small. I mean, it sounds like such a little thing. But what you just said there just landed for me. Where it's like, no, you, you've got to get them seeing it in their mind, envisioning this thing, and it's it's a different approach. But it's a way of going back to what we were talking about earlier of providing that service, right? Without being, because I, I, I think a, a, a big part of this is, you know, we're worried also about manipulating people. We don't want to come across as scummy, manipulating or anything, but sales is service. You know, from, from where I'm coming from, I, I think, you know, you're doing a favor for somebody, you're, you want to you wanna provide that service. So really helping them in that way. But, but just that little twist there that you had about getting them to envision it, I could see that, that that communication going in a very different way from what I've experienced. For the most part, most, most of, mostly I get no's 
you know, I get enough yeses that I'm able to make it work and I've been able to make well, it work for nearly 20 years, but it's, your yeah. Pricing is high for Instagram, but mm. try this, try, mm -hmm. try this new approach. And so then the next thing you want to ask, and this is huge. And if everybody listening just got in the habit of asking this question, you will see your sales increase. Okay. So here's the question, ready? <laughs> the question is, the question is, thank you. I'm so glad you love my art. Can you tell me what is it that you love about it? So now they're telling you how to sell them your art. <laughs> because now they're telling, you can't assume it's the colors or the scene or whatever. You never assume anything because you're always going to be wrong or most of the time you're going to be wrong. So you want to hear it from them, why they love your art. What do they love about it? And that helps you give them greater value. That is awesome. That is awesome. What do you love so about it? The thing it? about selling if you can change your mindset from selling to providing value, I know that the art that I sell, my husband's art, it sounds weird, but I know it changes people's lives in a very positive way. I know this because they tell us. We get fans that send us pictures of his art on the wall and say, you know, I had this one guy by uh, Drew did this painting of the heart chakra. And, you know, most of his art is like surfing images, sunshine and waves and so forth. But he also does some sacred geometry and he did this heart chakra, sacred geometry piece. And this guy bought bought it. It's, it's very large. Um, six feet by two feet with a frame on it. And he sent me a message one day and said, you know, every day I walk in my house and it's the first thing I see and it makes me feel so good about coming home. Wow. Art impacts people. And, you know, that guy, he spent a lot of money on that piece. And he almost didn't buy it because he's uh, self-admittedly told me he was a very frugal person and never spends money on art and has never spent that much money on an art piece before. And I remember he was here in the gallery and I remember I was kind of joking around with him and I'm like, well, you know, I was, I, he was on the fence because he didn't want to spend that much. And I told him a story. I said, you know, there was a time that I bought all my pocketbooks at Target and I would spend $30 on a Target purse. And then my sister came to visit me and took me in a store and made me buy a handbag that's like, like a $400 handbag. She twisted my arm. She said, Maria, a successful woman like you should be buying your purses at Target. And I was like, eh, it's no big deal. It's just a purse. Well, anyway, she convinced me to spend all this money on this purse. And then after using this beautiful leather 
perfect handbag for a couple of days. I got it. I was like, oh, now I won't know why people spend so much money on a nice purse because there are all these, it just, the way you feel when you're holding it and the way your things fit in it. And it made my life better. Sounds silly. So I told him that story and that took him off the fence. He was like, okay, I'm going to get it. And <laughs> that's why, you know, like a month later, he sent me that message saying, thank you for selling this to me because it's made my life happy. So your art does that for people. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Uh, Maria, I could talk to you all day and geek out about this stuff. I really just appreciate your time so much. I, you're amazing. Your book's amazing. What's what's next? What you you mentioned before that there was another book that you were working on. You wanted to get back to. So what what's what's in store for Maria Barofi? What can we look forward to next? I have a lot of books coming out. <laughs> They're not all about art business. Um, <laughs> I just finished a book called Empowered Moon, and it's for women to teaches women how to have gatherings with other women to support and uplift each other. So that is actually going to be out next month on Amazon. And, and that's finished. It's just being edited and all that stuff is happening to it right now. And I just started the next book, which is all about the experience of my husband almost dying from COVID and all the miracles and all the spiritual things that happen and all the amazing things and the horrible things. And it's a very inspiring, sad, and then uplifting story with a very happy ending. So awesome. that is what I'm working on right now. Huge stuff. Wow. Well, while I'm running you. this gallery and selling yeah. Drew's art and grateful that we're still in business and, and that business is good. And there's so much talk about the economy and all this stuff, but I'm not allowing it to enter my field of energy. I'm, I'm keeping all that at bay and I just keep, keep going with coming up with new ideas, new ways to do things, finding new ways to reach new buyers and get the art out there. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, this has been really inspiring for me. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so Thank much you. for being on the Creative Endeavor podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Well, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge shout out and thank you to Maria Brophy for joining me. Now, once again, make sure you check out Maria. She's on Instagram. She's got a website and check out her book, Art, Money, Success. I'd love to hear from you. What were some of the takeaways from this episode? There's a place somewhere on the audio version that you're listening to now where you can leave a rating or a review or a comment on this episode in particular. But you know what would really help me out and get this show out there to more people is if you'd share it on your social media. There's a whole bunch of people that have been sharing the creative endeavor with the hashtag the creative endeavor on Instagram. And that's helped this show reach so many more people. 
It only takes a second, but I really appreciate it and I can't do it without you. So thank you so much for taking that little bit of action and helping me spread the word. Now again, huge shout out and thank you to Maria for joining me on this episode. What a wonderful conversation. I got so much out of this. You know, it's podcasts like this, episodes like this, that just give me so much fuel to burn, to keep that creative fire going and to apply that energy back in the studio. I hope it does that for you too. Now, once again, if you could leave me a rating or review, that would be awesome. Make sure you check out Maria via all of those links in the show notes. I'm going to get out of here and get back to painting, but it has been wonderful having your company here in the studio once again. And I'll see you again in another episode of The Creative Endeavor. <laughs>